to do? Making a reveal. Making a reveal. Hello and welcome to another action-packed edition of Rank and Review. I am your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons. And on this episode, my guest Matthew Risling and I are going to be discussing six films on the theme of bad science. Sort of science fiction, sort of horror, sort of strange. It's an interesting bunch of movies and I hope you are interested to press right on. As usual, there will be coarse language there will be spoilers, and there will be fun to be had. If you have feedback you'd like to send me, you can do that by writing me at rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Let's jump into this one, kids. Welcome to Bad Science. Mr. Matthew Risling. Happy holidays. You've been in my house for a good 10 minutes, so we're caught up. Let's do a fucking podcast. Yeah, I was actually getting uncomfortable. I didn't have anything sudden, to talk about anymore except for movies. I don't want to do small time. Let's do large yeah, time. Life's fine. <laughs> Still no girlfriend. Yeah. Still same wife. <laughs> All right. Um, so today we're here to talk about bad science, I'm calling it. I think these are sort of horror movies for the most part, but they have a science fiction element to them. Yeah, they have science in them. <laughs> and the science is usually used for bad things, let's say. <laughs> Except, I guess, for cure for wellness. Uh, it's kind of sciencey. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll get into it. It's, it's kind of tough. It's sort of the hybrid horror sci-fi thing, I guess, like the Frankenstein's monster type of thing. Mm. If you're honest, I guess Frankenstein's sort of a science fiction story, right? But it's a horror novel. Yeah. But it's a science fiction story, but yeah. it's a horror novel. So that's what, that's what we're doing here, bad science. Alright, I can get behind that. Um, it's a weird mixed bag of movies in a lot of ways. Like, as much as that seems like it would be a fairly specific grouping, they're, they're all over the map. We've got quite a few very new movies, and then we got a couple 90s throwbacks for you guys. Yeah, um, and all of them I had not seen, and most of them I had not heard of, so it was really interesting to watch them. <laughs> every, every movie was a surprise. Some of them were actually quite pleasant surprises. Well, that's the way to watch these. I'm going to talk about this with one of the movies. That, like, one of the movies is like almost wrecked by its packaging. Like I told you when I handed you the stack, just watch the movies, don't read the boxes. Yeah. <laughs> There's a real distinct reason why I did that. <laughs> Fuck, people are stupid. Yeah, I think the uh, the last one that we're going to talk about, the Belko experiment, was the most surprising for me. That was right. Just, <laughs> just really didn't know where it was going to go, but it got there quickly. Well, yeah, absolutely. We'll get there. Well, I mean, we seem eager to get into it. So um, let's list off already the six movies we're going to review. A Cure for Wellness, which is uh, Gore Verbinski's return to the horror genre. He brought the, us the American remake of The Ring and then got sidelined doing these terrible Pirates of the Caribbean movies for a really long time. Um, I think he's an interesting visual filmmaker. So he only does things that are water-based. Apparently. Apparently he's uh, all wet, I guess. 
We're going to talk about the animated version of Ghost in the Shell. This was recently remade with ScarJo. Yeah. And because it was recently remade with ScarJo, the original has been showing up in the $5 bins. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of wondering why you had that, because you never really struck me as much of an anime guy. I want to be an anime guy, but I keep failing to find quality anime to excite me. Like, uh, other than anime... Miyazaki, I, I haven't found very much to cling to, to be honest. Anime guys are the worst. You don't want to be an anime guy. You don't guy. want to be an anime guy. <laughs> anime guys are Trump voters. I like the idea of animated films made for adults. Like, as a concept, I think that's really strong, but so rarely does it feel successful I to think me. anime particularly, it, it feels like animation for petulant teenagers. Like, it's not like the maturity level is off the charts. Or worse, anime for pedophiles. Yeah. <laughs> uh, moving on. Um, really, really huge horror hit that could potentially be nominated for Oscars this year, rumor has it. Get Out. It's the first film from Gordon Peele, who's one half of the... Jordan. Or Jordan Peele, pardon me. Who's one half of the comedy team, Key and Peele. And I think the more... Um, well, maybe just because of, on the strength of Get Out, but the talented have. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. I think they both have their strengths and weaknesses, let's say that. Um, I guess from the early aughts, I said the 90s, but that might have been a lie. Imposter, which is a... Uh, it feels like a 90s movie, that's why. It feels like a 90s movie. Uh, it's Philip K. Dick, and uh, I guess when we get to the review, we'll, we'll talk about how that in and of itself is maybe a double-edged sword. Mm. And we have Life starring... Super hottie Jake Gyllenhaal and Deadpool himself, Ryan Reynolds. I think it was directed by the guy that directed Deadpool, wasn't it? Daniel Espinoza is the name of the director. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. We can look that up. One of the nerds okay. listening to this. Nerds. <laughs> and then uh, we're going to finish with the Belko experiment, which is a real interesting collision of talent, actually, in a lot of ways. James Gunn, who is responsible for Slither, which is a very popular <laughs> title in Rank and Review, and of course the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, and the absurdly wonderful Super. <laughs> oh. He wrote the screenplay to this. And then Greg McLean, who is an Australian director who did Wolf Creek, a horror movie that I didn't like a lot, and also did Rogue, an alligator movie that I did. <laughs> so it's an interesting sort of collision of sort of genre talents coming together to bring us Belko. Yeah, uh, we'll talk about this more, I guess, when we get to it, but it felt like, like it felt like a co-production to me, like it, it felt a lot like a Japanese movie, but the cast was all American, <laughs> and it was set in Central America somewhere. Yeah, Colombia, I think, Columbia. yeah. So that's the six movies on the theme of bad science. Is there anything else you'd like to say by way of introduction, or should we kick this pig? No, we. I think we, again, small talk has small just talk. been very Not dead. our gift, not our gift. Um, be well, Matthew. Oh, I 
good news about A Cure for Wellness, for me anyway, is that Gore Verbinski returned to the horror genre. Um, the bad news is that it was kind of a bomb. It did not make its money back at all. They spent a lot of money on this movie and uh, didn't, didn't get particularly well received. I think the critics were split and the audience just didn't show up. Yeah, it. I looked it up on Wikipedia and it made, I don't know what it made, like half of its budget back or something. Yeah. Uh, and the reviews were, even the good ones, I think they were unanimous that it was really long and slow-paced. Right. Well, and here's the thing. It's pretty long, and it's pretty slow-paced. Um, Dane DeHaan, who made an impressive debut in this found footage movie called Chronicle. I haven't seen it. He's Don't had, watch found footage. He, he's had a hard time finding a, a, a way for himself in Hollywood since then. He had a high-profile role in The Amazing Spider-Man 2, which nobody cares about. <laughs> and then he did this movie, which bombed, and he did this Valerian movie, which opened this summer and took a huge shit. Oh, <laughs> he's going to be like that guy who is in John Carter Yeah, Mars. he's sort of this year's John Carter, unfortunately. I don't think he's a bad actor. I think he's fine. He seems like we talk about the poor man casting. It seems like this was our poor man Leo DiCaprio. Yeah. They couldn't get DiCaprio, so they got Dane DeHaan and just rolled the dice. Although I liked, I mean, I liked that I didn't know anybody in this. I don't right. think I knew anybody in this. I wasn't actually sure if it was a Canadian film for a while <laughs> because it was slow and I didn't recognize anybody. Well, here, let's do the plot. Um, Dane DeHaan is this executive at this weird, sinister corporation. <laughs> Uh, the board of directors, which is like I guess maybe a problem. We'll talk about it. How strangely evil they're portrayed <laughs> at the beginning of the movie. Sent him to this uh, place in the in the Alps, is it? Yeah. In the Swiss Alps, uh, where the his boss had checked himself into this place wellness center to be treated. Apparently the waters, the springs in this mountain, have some special curative property. And he wrote a very problematic letter to the board of directors on the eve of a big important merger, basically saying, fuck everything we're doing, don't look for me. And DeHaan's the kid that gets sent out to go to the wellness center and haul this guy back to the big shitty. Yeah, because he had done some illegal stuff, right? Yeah, they kind of forced him to do it because they had some dirt on him. So he was sort of being the, the Aaron Moore. But he had a lot to gain, personally, from having this work out as well. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, as all of the critics have said, this is an epic horror movie. It's two and a half hours long. There's a real sort of composed narrative happening here. And lots of long, lingering shots. And lots of beautifully framed, long, lingering shots, quite often, of people in water. Yeah, but here's the thing, like... I get that it's a big meal of a horror movie and that people aren't used to that, but for the most part, I'm kind of on board with The Cure for Wellness. I think especially because of how visually gifted Gore Verbinski is, uh, he was helping to sell some of these longer portions. The first time we catch a glimpse of the the young girl who a lot of the plot circles around, she's standing on like the high wall of the castle as he's driving up to the place. And there's something really ghostly about her appearance. And like, well, she's a, an odd-looking young woman to begin yeah. with. Yeah, but I think the presentation goes a long way to salvage the pace for me. Yeah, actually, I, even though it's long, and I can see why um, that would be off-putting, and in a way it kind of felt its length, but I actually liked it. I liked the pacing. Um, I liked that it took its time. Um, I like kind of the mystery about it, the what's going on. I'm not sure if I really loved the payoff at the end, mm-hmm. but 
it was it was the whole thing was worth it. My note here is that it reminded me of a more interesting version of Shutter Island. Right. I kept on thinking of Shutter Island too. I don't know what I'd like the large Gothic Institute. I guess. Yeah, the sanitarium, and because it, it was raining all the time in Shutter Island, so there was always water everywhere. Well, this place was really beautiful. I also like that this isn't a horror movie reliant on jump scares. Like, mm. how many jump scares are in the movie? I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any. I th- I was there's a shocking car accident that happens early in the morning. In, oh in yeah, the that, I felt really bad for that buck when it yeah, was. Yeah, had a pretty slow, miserable death, didn't yeah. it? And a fairly convincing one. Like that was clearly a special effect, but a really well done one. Mm-hmm. And like the uh, uh, and uh, one of two bucks that gets hit by a car. <laughs> yes, I thought it was going to be a theme when I was watching these. <laughs> But I also like that the camera stayed in the car with DeHaan as it was turning, and you could see his body sort of get zero gravity inside <laughs> the car as the shit was going. Really well done sequences. Um, so, I mean, I guess that's where I get... I'm really intrigued by the story. I understand that it's taking its time, but the visuals are getting me past it. And uh, then we get into this treatment center and the facilities and uh, I really like the idea of this water tank sequence that they have him in where uh, incredibly claustrophobic and you I imagine it being cold he's like basically wearing a diaper and he has a snorkel in his mouth and uh, kind of like Luke Skywalker in Empire Strikes Back yeah a bigger version of that a bigger darker version of that but the idea that like they prep him that you know he might hallucinate and is he hallucinating or is he not and some of the horrifying imagery that we have within that is really well done. Yeah, getting beset by eels. <laughs> and uh, it does have cliche moments here and there too. Like he kind of drowns in the tank and then they pull him out of the tank and he undrowns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that's not how it works. I figured it was magical water or something. Yeah. I thought that that would be clear later and then it never really was. Not really. No. No. Well, and that whole scene wasn't really clear to me. And then that's I guess where I have some questions. Like what was the deal with like <laughs> Why was the board of directors so spooky and sinister? And why was the secondary, like, I understand the main bad guy in this movie, but the staff of the sanitarium were all super fucked. <laughs> I, did, I thought it was like, I mean, the movie is half fairy tale. Yeah. Um, I think this one to me seems similar to Get Out in that it takes place in a world that's very close to ours but, but you can't really quite. call unrealistic on anything because it's it's this slightly like magical or hyper version of uh, reality so uh, particularly the staff I just thought of them as like the the things that live in the Beast's castle and Beauty and the Beast that whatever weird thing they're just thing, infected by it yeah. somehow it's not really made clear, but yeah, this. Well, woman... and then also when the board of directors comes to pick him up at the end, yeah. like the, it's weird that all that the all board of, of directors would just hop in a car and go there. They don't just send another dude. They yeah. all decide to get in the same vehicle. Yeah, yeah, it's there's something yeah strange about it, and like I don't know if we can completely trust the reality of it. Of sometimes, and uh, when Dehane is starting to crack the code of the mystery and getting too close, uh, they start torturing him with these. <laughs> Treatments and these devices, and there's a really horrible dental sequence. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, where for a while, like, he becomes convinced that he's legitimately been rendered insane, right? <laughs> so, at that point, especially, what you're seeing, you can really start to question. 
But even before we get to that point in the movie, we're seeing staff members like strip off their shirts and jerking yeah, I off. Yeah, I was and, like, wondering about that because there's a scene where this is the one we were talking about where he was in the water tank. Yeah. And the guy that was monitoring him got distracted because some nurse in a scene that was very unsexy, like, right. like a lesser director would have just turned it into a, a, a cheap TNA scene. But this was, I don't know, it's like artsy European style. Strangely so. kind of disturbing. Like he's got a guy in a tank and he's instead he's paying attention to this weirdly, seemingly disinterested nurse who's yeah. got her tits out for and some reason. And then he's reason. just jerking off. And like, yeah. it also, that reminded me of a lot of one of the final shots in Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange. <laughs> and Clockwork Orange was satirical, so that, that scene was not quite like played for laughs, but it was part of the satire of the whole movie. But this one, I couldn't tell. And it was early enough on in the movie that you're still not 100% sure what the tone is. Because I'm not sure that all of the pieces fit completely. I think they fit enough that I'm okay with the movie, but like there's there's just, there's stuff that make me wonder. Once we do get to the twist, and it gets pretty out there, <laughs> like it feels almost like it could be knocking on the door of like a Lovecraftian sort of tale, right? Yeah. And that's um, what I was always imagining. They're talking about the curative property of the water. I thought there was going to be some sort of, like... Deep, dark... Demon thing yeah. in the water. Or some monstrous sort of idea. Um, and I think that the movie could be called guilty of being a little bit clumsy with its exposition. There's no way for him to learn the history of this place without having someone just tell him the history yeah, of this place. Yeah, I didn't mind. One, so one of the inmates was a history... Kind of an amateur his, history buff. Yeah. Uh, and she... She she told him the story. I didn't mind. Like it was it was. You recognized her as a device of the plot. Yeah, but, <laughs> um, but it was so oh, I I didn't it didn't kick me out of it. Right. And the way one of our podcasts uh, said something about the theme was exposition dumps. Bad bad exposition didn't dumps. Feel like an exposition dump. It's just the thing where the Bond villain stops to explain his terrible plan. Like, yeah. I, I mean, our villain gets revealed to be this ancient baron who's like 300 years old or something, trying like hell to impregnate the daughter of his sister, who he had impregnated. Right? Yeah, so there was his, his, his... So Hannah ended up being his daughter. Hannah is his sister's daughter. But isn't she also his daughter? Didn't he? Yeah, he impregnated his sister. Because he felt his sister was the only only person worthy of his seed or whatever. Yeah, trying to keep the But then the villagers uh, cut the baby out, threw her into the water, which is why Hannah was immune or, or well, removed her from and the water. The Baron aged really slowly because of these treatments. They're not actually helping the people by putting them in the water. They're actually extracting some of their life life essence so that they themselves can live longer. That's what really feels Lovecraftian to me. And then of course like there's this reveal where like underneath this handsome doctor's face is the scarred <laughs> face a weird CGI <laughs> skeletor figure. Yeah. Like, that didn't that didn't totally work for A little me. bit silly. I think they just overdid the effect on his face maybe. Like I might have but again, it's a piece that doesn't quite fit, but I think for me it fits enough that like I'm kind of behind the movie. Uh, I didn't know that this was the guy that did Pirates of the Caribbean, but it just makes... Just the first three, to be fair. Okay. <laughs> it makes sense that that's the guy that did <laughs> Davy Jones. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and in a movie where everything is kind of elegant and understated, I think that, yeah, was a little bit too much. I noticed right away the sort of same thing, like because you and I reviewed The Ring, 
that sort of color where they've done that sort of digital color to make things a little bit darker, a little bit more sort of blue and cool mm. than it would have otherwise been naturally. Yeah. Um, and I just, again, it, I think they're getting better at it. Like it stood out more in the ring, but it's definitely something that he uses in his toolbox. Maybe a, a bit too much. A bit too much. Yeah. <laughs> You're in the Swiss Alps. I mean, it's a beautiful place. And I, I just like that this is a very different horror movie. I mean, it gets familiar the deeper you get into it, but I like that it's kind of ambitiously epic and long, and I like that like it's, it's slow with its re- revelations, and it's a it's little crazy. It's atmospheric, <laughs> and the atmosphere is always good, and like you know, even the shots of the like those older fat women swimming, yeah, and there's something creepy about it, even though it's not creepy, but just the way the shot is framed, yeah, um, the stuff like that I really liked. And my final note was that I can totally understand why people didn't like it. But yeah, I'm on board, though. I thought it was good. Yeah. It, it surprised me. Uh, and this list was, in general, this list was one that I wasn't sure about since I hadn't seen anything, but right. this was a good first one to have watched. Yeah. Unfortunately, not all of them are going to be this successful. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think we seem to like it more than most people do, but that's just because we're cooler than your average I think show, also I think. we're more cerebral. <laughs> yeah, like we, we, we live up here, yeah. uh, for those of you in podcast land, I'm pointing to my head. <laughs> yeah, so watch A Cure for Wellness, damn it. What's a simulated experience again? All your memories about your wife and daughter are false. They're like a dream. Someone's taken advantage of you. They were trying to make you ghost hack into some government officials. Do you understand what I'm saying? But that can't be. I had a picture of her. She was there. The truth is, you've never had a wife or kid. Like he said, they aren't real. They're a simulated experience, a fantasy. Are we talking about the puppet master, the infamous mystery hacker? We don't know a lot either. No clue about age, sex, or background. All we know for certain is this person is on the international most wanted list for crimes including stock manipulation, illegal information gathering, political engineering, several acts of terrorism. The nickname Puppet Master comes from the ghost hacking. My code name is Project 2501. I am a living, thinking entity who was created in the sea of information. Okay, so we were we were talking about anime and how it can be a little bit difficult, you know. Like, I want to be a fan of anime, and I and people that are fans of it tend to be like you're not just a little bit a fan of anime. Yeah, people you're all in, like right? Really, <laughs> get into it. You have to watch all 380 episodes of this space pirate thing, <laughs> or else you're not a complete person. I somehow like I I thought that I'd seen this. I think because it was Akira, and yeah. this feels exactly the same as Akira. But not as good, <laughs> by a large margin. But yeah. like, it seemed like one of the ones that I would have rented at 49 Cent Video and watched at some point. Like, I thought that I'd seen it, but watching it now, like, no, I think this was an entirely new experience. And um, I'm going to later talk about how stupid it is to put like quotes on the front of the box, especially when there's typical ones, but here's a quote from James Cameron about this movie. A stunning work of speculative fiction, the first truly adult animation film to reach a level of literary and visual excellence, he said while masturbating furiously. Yeah, the Wachowskis really liked it as well. (laughs) Well, here's the thing, like, 
from a visual standpoint, there is like an aesthetic appeal on a superficial level, but it's weird in that it's like interstitial stuff. It's like the cityscapes and the transport system. It's like they borrowed that really boring sequence at the beginning of Blade Runner where they show <laughs> Harrison Ford flying through this environment for a really long time, showing off the world. But this is like a barely hour and 15 minute movie. <laughs> they spend so much time with the credit sequences and so much time with these interstitial shots that like when the credits actually started to roll, <laughs> it was genuinely <laughs> shocked. Like, <laughs> it did, because there's like a whole... Like a whole little vignette first, right? I, I was drifting in and out of this movie. It was so boring. Uh, I don't want to be super mean, though, because just back to the Cameron thing, like, film people really like this and were really inspired by it. There must be something to it that, like, this people that love this movie have gone on to do really big and great stuff. I mean, James Cameron was already big, but, yeah. like, it... it you know, without this, there wouldn't have been the Matrix movies, yeah. for example. Um, but I, I just couldn't tell what it is that people liked about it. I was trying to remember back to 1995. Like, <laughs> what was missing in culture that this contributed to? Because really, like, when I was watching it now, I was just distracted by the amount of anime tits that are in this movie, right? And, uh, <laughs> like, the whole opening sequence is, like, this woman sort of getting this new skin poured over her naked body or something like that. And the the story is that I guess we're like cyborg hybrids and we have our own identities kind of plugged in. Yeah, out. I guess. There's various conversations of that going on in the background and there's an almost interesting B story about a garbage man who has entire history implanted into his brain and has to be told that this daughter that he's convinced he's trying to get a hold of, in fact, doesn't exist. Yeah, I think that was the only part of the movie that I was really very engaged with. There was also a musical montage that I kind of liked. Right. Well, like, that was that was a beat of science fiction where I like, well, yeah, that's interesting. All of a sudden, we just rang, onto a, rang a note that was interesting. Or, I don't know, even give me, like, the over-the-top sci-fi assassination violence that we get a little bit at the beginning of the movie where we see this this chick take out a few people like uh, in this sort of high stakes uh, assassination but none of the scenes seem glued to each other in any real way it seems like a movie that's talking about science fiction but barely manages to be science fiction yeah a couple of things about that one when it was over i had to watch a bunch of youtube uh videos on it uh just to figure out what the hell was going on <laughs> um and I mean, I guess the plot's actually pretty simple. I think it's just that I was maybe not paying as close attention as I could. Um, but also the voice work was kind of... Sketchy. Distractingly lackluster. So these, like, they just felt like cartoon characters that were doing stuff to each other. There was no... I never, I never felt any kind of empathy or connection with anybody, except for the garbage man. Maybe that's the reason why that's the only part that I liked. Because he just seems like an innocent victim who we can definitely feel pity for. Um... Yeah, so I guess at attempting the plot a little bit, um, since we have our personalities sort of injected into ourselves, the idea of this ghost in the shell or the ghost in the machine is that there's some sort of entity that sort of created itself separately that's going to try and take physical form and become super powerful. Yeah, it was like a cyber weapon. Yeah, that sort of got its own consciousness. It's very, I guess the Terminator could be, you know, sort of Skynet type of thing. 
sentient robots. So that, that's the main villain that we're gonna we're gonna be tackling. But we never really seem to go at it in any kind of direct way. <laughs> And it doesn't really... I couldn't really tell if it was the villain or the hero because I didn't know who I was supposed to be hoping for. Yeah. Like, the woman got the most screen time, and we started with her, but she's kind of like an assassin. Yeah. She didn't seem like she had a lot of personality. And knowing that they're programmed, that, like, they they don't, in a way, really have a true self. Mm. (laughs) Like, uh, made them, I guess, maybe a little bit pitiable, but it was harder to feel the stakes for anything that was going on. If they're just robots or, you know, they can just get their consciousness injected into something else, like, where are the stakes anywhere in the movie? Yeah. (laughs) So, I'm going to fall back on it being pretty and having lots of animated titty in it. And, I mean, if if that's all it takes for you to be entertained, I guess, well, hooray, believe (laughs) for you, it's going to work, but... uh, But but if that's what you like, then just watch hentai porn online. It was like the boobs made it adult, right? Like, <laughs> that, that's what made it adult. We're going to keep on showing you boobs, just in case you're starting to nod <laughs> off with all of this sci-fi gibber. <laughs> I, like, I feel like I'm being really mean to it. Like, I'm flabbergasted at how positive most of the reviews are. You look at Rotten Tomatoes, look at IMDb. There's a lot of love here. <laughs> yeah, I was honestly... Uh... Like, because I was having such a negative reaction, I was really searching for what is it that people see in this and which is one of the reasons why I was watching follow-up videos because Hmm. maybe there was something brilliant underneath it but it's not it's just like I don't know low-rent philosophy and boring characters was it just that like in 95 or 97 whenever it was all you had to do was really attempt to be an adult oriented film and that alone would win you the points yeah and also I think anime hadn't I mean it existed in North America this is a couple of years after Akira but still it wasn't something that people were really familiar with and yeah. this would have blown a lot of people's minds but like Akira had an amazing light show going on it was challenging but there was a story there to be decoded I think mm. I don't know that there is really I mean I guess there's a story but it at, at 70 minutes it's both too short and too long I guess. <laughs> so, I don't know, like. yeah I, I mean what cure for wellness was two and a half hours uh, and it felt it, it didn't feel as long to watch as ghost in the shell which I had to watch over three viewings yeah it took you three sittings to watch it yeah, yeah. wow and like that'd be like 20 25 minutes <laughs> yeah. to sit yeah but it's just it dares you to keep watching. It really is just like... But, I mean, this is... It reminds me, sort of, if I'm going to be generous, uh, on our last podcast we did a movie called The Falling. Right. And my my rank for that was, like, if this is the type of movie you like, then I guess it's an A+. Right. I just personally found it boring. Yeah. I mean, I found this more boring than The Falling. Yeah, I would watch The Falling again before I would watch The Ghost in the, in the Machine. Or Ghost in the Shell. I keep on watching The Ghost in the Machine for some reason. Uh, because I care so little about yeah. it. But, like, I, I, out there, there's got to be somebody listening to this thing that either has, like, an adequate defense to make of this movie, or who can put me in the direction of a non-Miyazaki. Like, I've seen Spirited Away, I've seen Howl's Moving Castle, I've seen, like, those big recognizable ones. Show me or, or refer me to an adult anime that doesn't end up making me furious. I would, I would <laughs> love that. I think like there's the Grave of the Fireflies. That's one that comes that's to mind. Miyazaki. Is that Miyazaki as well? Yeah. There you go. So, <laughs> like, 
please, I would love to have it. Like, I would love. I would honestly love to have it. I think you should put it. a challenge out to your audience to come up with six anime movies and the prize is a special episode with Larry <laughs> Larry Parsons. Give me six interesting non Miyazaki an- adult oriented animes to talk about, and I will do that fucking podcast. All right, and it'll be more interesting than this barely ten minute discussion of Ghost in the Shell. I've run out of things. Yeah, to I say. don't have anything to say. Like, yes. <laughs> I feel like we did it really short shrift, dude, but like. All I would do is be kicking this corpse. <laughs> do you smoke in front of my daughter? I'm gonna quit. She'd take care of that for you. How? Hypnosis. I'm good, actually. Are you ready for this? I'm back in the beat. So look, I go do my research. Apparently, a whole bunch of brothers been missing in this suburb. But it's cool. Bro, how you not scared of this, man? Couldn't see no brother around here. Chris was just telling me how he felt much more comfortable with my being here. Get out. Sorry, man. Get out! Yo! Rose, we gotta go. Is everything okay? Rose, the keys. Just get the keys. I don't know where they are. Rose! Sink into the floor. Wait, 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 wait. Sink. Terrible thing to waste. Terrible thing to waste. If there's too many white people, I get nervous. <laughs> oh, no. No. No, 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 no. Alright, so uh, at the risk of tipping my hand right out of the gate. I would like to talk to you about one of the best movies of 2017. Yeah, and, uh, you know, go from a pretty low-ranking movie to a pretty high-ranking one on this uh, particular list. Uh, Get Out from Jordan Peele, half of Key and Peele. He decided he wanted to do a, a horror movie for his directorial debut, and he said that he did it because he's always loved the genre, and he's felt that, although it's a tale as old as time, that yes, horror and comedy have a lot in common and that he could use the talent for one to express the other. And he backed that shit up. <laughs> I, I was very impressed by it. And it's one of those things where I'd heard so many great things about it, I was like, shit, I wish I hadn't heard so many great things about it, because it's not going to be able to like live up to the hype, right? Yeah, yeah. well, I saw the preview. I can't, I was at some movie, maybe The Revenant. No, whoops. Anyway, it does, that's not part of the story. Uh, and it looked kind of boring to me. Yeah. Like, it looked like a kind of a flat parable about racism. White guilt the movie. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was really clever. The satire was really nice. Um, like, it... At some point, you get this big paradigm shift when you find out what's going on, and then everything, all of the scenes, you can go back to retroactively. And they have, they were scenes that worked in one tone, but then when you find out what's really going on, they're like, yeah, that was that was perfectly consistent with this too. Like the good first forty-ish minutes of the movie is like this cringy curb your enthusiasm yeah. level, like awkward comedy that kind of makes you want to hide under your chair <laughs> just like the horror is just how uncomfortable and we're being made to feel that way very deliberately because that's how the central character feels yeah uh, should we set this up yeah, yeah. uh this young man is dating he was black fellows dating a white girl he's going to meet their, her parents for the first time in this like separated sort of community <laughs> and he's 
not the only black guy there, but he, he, he sticks out like a sore thumb. And what's really interesting about the movie is that they're not attacking like yeehaw redneck racism, like Nazi white pride type of racists. They're, they're attacking the left. Yeah, they're attacking the, the condescending liberal, like, oh, yeah, I have lots of black friends. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> There's that great line when his girlfriend said, my dad would have voted for Obama for a third time. And then later his dad said, yeah, I would have voted for Obama a third time. And you're like, oh, gross. <laughs> so, but, like, it's really, really well done. Like, I really felt like I could identify with how that would feel super uncomfortable. And even though everybody's being very overtly friendly quote-unquote to you like that they're kind of pissing in your face at the same time well so when i was talking about like after the paradigm shift so you would have like he went to a party with just a bunch of creepy (laughs) rich white people and they were like touching his body and stuff and like this woman's like is sex really better with black people or something (laughs) like that and you just think that they're being they're trying so hard to be accepting that it's gross and like you said curvy enthusiasm (laughs) but as we find out later they're hypnotizing uh and what are they like cutting out their brains they're going to switch the brains out uh so that they can put the rich dying white people's healthy brain inside the body of this black photographer and the Stephen Root plays the, the recipient who's supposedly going to be getting this kid's brain mm-hmm. and, and he was really good you know, always. he's always really good but yeah he was blind he was going to get his vision back he was going to have be able to take pictures and become a painter again there's another guy who was an athlete and he got the brain of a, a, a young spy runner and well and not just not just any uh, runner because that's what sort of kicked it off is the grandparents of the girlfriend uh, we later learned the girlfriend. Is, like the whole family's in on this everybody's in on it there's nobody good in this movie except for <laughs> but the grandfather when he was really young was an aspiring Olympic athlete but he got in with the 32 Olympics whatever the, right. the ones hosted by Hitler he lost to Jesse Owens right. and after that he started like obsessing and fetishizing the uh, quote negroid musculature yeah if he wants to run faster he's gonna have to somehow steal that yeah and so what's going on is so crazily past right and it's all being presented to you with this really friendly good natured smiling the main couple um, Bradley Whitford and um, Catherine Keener oh oh my god like the 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 level of disingenuousness yeah especially Bradley Whitford I thought he did a great job fuck man like when when the table finally starts getting turned like you're practically on your feet cheering <laughs> for these people to die and I wasn't expecting that and I was maybe a little bit worried about the white guilt thing right like I was gonna be like that, that someone's gonna be lecturing me that I'm like, <laughs> or something like that but no, what I got was a really smart, savvy, satirical horror movie. Yeah. And nothing was poorly executed. Like, the hypnotism scenes, which are not easy to pull off, mm-hmm. very gracefully done, very visually well done. And, like, it sort of hits you as a surprise, because it's this. now we're seeing something very new in this movie, right? Now we're in, like, a whole other world inside this guy's head. Yeah. Um... That shot reminded me a little bit of Train Spotting, actually, when he sunk into what did you call it, the deep place? The, yeah. 
Um, and you can sort of, you have this kind of small picture view that he's seeing the world. Yeah, it's sort of like the overdose sequence, yeah, in Trainspotting. Yeah, I can totally see that. And it's also giving us a window to the true horror of what would be awaiting for him. He wouldn't be completely gone, is the idea. He would be in that low place, watching his body being puppeted, but having no control over it. Because we see from the other... So there's... um, two other black servants who we later find out are the grandparents the olympic hopeful and his wife yeah and then that other guy which was another funny like just odd moment there is this must have been somewhere in his 20s handsome black guy who's dating this woman who's in like her 50s or 60s and he's dressed weird like he's dressed like a 1930s guy or something and being at that party and seeing another face that was familiar to him, that he could, like, find someone that I can relate to in this sea of weird white people, right? <laughs> and he gets to that dude, and he's the weirdest fucking guy <laughs> at the party. <laughs> it's just good. I, I have to say, man, I mean, I saw it coming that they were all in on it, but... Mm-hmm. Man, did I fucking hate his girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> like, Everybody was really happy when she got killed. Holy. And, like, it's one of those terrible things. Like, she does not have a quick death, and I'm totally okay with yeah. it. <laughs> like, you can sit there and squirm for a few minutes. That's fine. You are a terrible, terrible person. I was a little disappointed that the brother didn't end up being more interesting. Caleb Landry Jones, he's a good actor, he's really good at bringing the hate, but they didn't give him a lot to do. No, and he was just, like, his basic, basically his arc was he wanted to fight a black guy and win, right? He kept talking about how savage and powerful. I also felt of the whole family, he had the worst poker face. Yeah. Like, he was the one who was like, yeah, you're going to die soon. It was on his face. Like, we're fucking with you. Yeah, which is why I was hoping something more interesting would happen. Like, he maybe, he ends up being an ally figure in some ways. Or he's actually the one that's the most torn, because he seems like the one that's most into it. Just just something. But, um, I I don't know, he was just there to get killed pretty quickly at the end. (laughs) But you wanted him to go down. He was sort of like a good, hateable villain, but you kind of expected him to have more to play, I guess. Yeah. I see that. In the interest of, like, trying to find a couple of negative things to say, I will ask you, here's two questions, okay? (laughs) Do you think that him literally picking the cotton out of the chair to plug his ears might have been a little bit too clever? So... That was edging on a little bit too fast. This was the, right? this like, was the auction when they were auctioning off his body. Pretty on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> but this is again, like I was saying with Cure for Wellness, that this wasn't quite the real world. There was right. a sort of fairy tale quality, so I, I didn't mind it going there. Right. But I, I mean, I see what you mean. It was, it's getting there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, here's, here's the thing I'm glad he made this change. But originally, the movie had a very different ending. Mm-hmm. You heard yeah. about this. Yeah. Uh, like, it's convoluted. That towards the end, one of the guys who've been taken over, his body's been taken over, fights the infection or the, the operation long enough to mortally wound the evil girlfriend and then take his own life. And our character is wounded, bloody on the highway, in ground zero of all of this, and we see the lights 
of a police car. And when I was watching the movie the first time, my heart just fucking <laughs> sunk, right? I was like, these guys aren't even going to be part of the sinister plot, right? They're just going to be regular racist, terrible cops. Uh, yeah. And they have this reveal. That it's well, this, we assumed it was going to be the cop from the beginning that right, pulled him over. The same sort of racist cop before. But no, it's his buddy from the TSA, right? And then he has that line, because we're from the TSA and we get our shit done, or whatever, right? <laughs> Which and was again, a kind was, of a running joke in the movie, because nobody was taking him seriously because he was a TSA agent, but he right. saw himself as a detective. But like originally it was ending with him visiting his friend in jail, doing time for killing his girlfriend. <laughs> like... Fuck that. So, like, I didn't want the jail ending, but just that that jokey moment at the end, it was just like, it was sort of like the picking of the cotton from the chair. Is that just maybe a little bit too much? Um, that's another one that I didn't mind. Um, oddly, I think the unhappy ending belongs in the movie a little bit more, but right. I'm glad that they went with the happy one. And this is just... This is just a protagonist that you don't need him to get slapped down. Anymore. It's His trust issues are going to be lifelong now. There's no <laughs> way he's going to make any meaningful connections <laughs> like with people. But I almost liken it to like the tank in the shark's mouth at the end of Jaws. Like, there's something really stupid about it, but we want to see the shark blow up so much that we completely give the movie a pass on yeah. it, right? And that's sort of where I land with that. And again, this is just me actually trying to find something negative to say, because I found the movie to be pretty much uniformly impressive and awesome. Like, sign me up for more of this yeah. guy's work. Well, one of the reasons why I thought the ending wasn't so bad is because... Um, like his friend, the character is there for comic relief, yes. and very judiciously there are scenes with this guy um, investigating what's going on on his own end, and the, they're sort of sillier scenes, so that, that, that tonal element is introduced, so it's not like completely out of the blue at the end, it's not like in Blade with some motherfuckers always being ice skating <laughs> uphill, she's like, what the hell are you talking about, this isn't, no Shut ice skating. Up, Blade. <laughs> Shut up, <laughs> But in this, I, I, I thought it worked because they had introduced those, um, that type of humor, and it wasn't overdone. And can we both agree that the Golden Globes are full of shit for nominating it as best musical or comedy? Yeah, I think it's just... If it's anything, like, it's proving the condescending racist sort of point of the movie, right? They like the movie, but not enough to nominate it in a serious category. Like, we might also take that as horror movies don't get nominated. That's true, it's very serious. rare. It's very rare, but I think it's got a chance at getting nominated. They do ten nominations for Best Picture. I don't particularly love or respect the Oscars, but I like the idea of a horror movie getting nominated for Oscars, yeah. right? So... I thought this year the best horror movie was going to be It. And I really liked It, don't get me wrong, but I think that I would give the edge to Get Out. So not to, not yeah. to spoil it, but I'm a huge fan. Yeah, I thought Get Out was really, it was smart, it was interesting. Uh, I haven't seen It. I'm not all that Jazzed for it. excited from what I've seen in the previews. Uh, but I wasn't, I wasn't all that excited for Get Out, but right. then I saw it and it was terrific. They're very different movies, but uh, they both got a lot of attention, and I'm glad it's been a good year for horror. Having these big blockbuster horror movies are good for the genre. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. like, whether or not you like it, like that it is a success, you know? And I, I, I say this all the time, so I must have said it on your podcast before, but I think right now, 
we're at an age where the best movies are coming out in horror because those are like the only mid-budget movies. Right. So they're either like those Avengers or Star Wars movies or just unwatchable art house movies. And the only ones... Like, this seems like somebody had a good idea and then turned that good idea into a good screenplay and then turned that good screenplay into a good movie and it's not written by a committee um, and it's it's this inspired... It comes from a, a place of inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and The Witch was like that as well. Like, that was one of the last ones we talked about. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. It's really good. It's really good. The cast is uniformly great. The satire is sharp. It's funny when it wants to be, but the funny never overcooks the movie. It, it stays a scary movie. Watch it. Yeah. <laughs> On Wednesday morning, he woke up. I'm Major Hathaway, Special Unit Enemy Infiltration. What's this about? Public enemy number one. You know who this is? Not Spencer Olin. You decoded your plan to infiltrate our installation. You murdered Spencer Olin. I'm a scientist. It's a genetic cyborg. It breathes, sweats, bleeds with a bomb in its ribcage. Tonight with the Chancellor, that's when you would detonate. I am Spencer Olin! Do not believe what they told you. You must trust me. We are scanning the building. In a future where paranoia is everywhere. They miscalculated. The Centauri never got to me. What is the range of the bomb? I recommend you evacuate the city immediately. How do you prove who you really are? I need you to run me into that city underground. What's in there for you? Maya, she's my proof. She knows I'm innocent. Every effort is being made to locate this imposter. Has it contacted you? Don't you think I'd know my own husband? Come to me. You're wrong! You're wrong! So, there was a time where it was, like, really good for, for Philip K. Dick adaptations. Like, Total Recall, although maybe not the most, most faithful adaptation, it was a pretty impressive science fiction movie for the time it came out, yeah. you know? Um, um, Minority Reports, yeah. although it wasn't, not a terrific movie, but like, you know, a Tom Cruise decent action movie. Yeah, look at some money to it. Anyone ever heard of Blade Runner? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're looking at sort of a B-level, like, whack head of Philip K. Dick book, and uh, closer to your Screamers or your Scanner Darkly as far as scale and budget. But here's the thing, because I've sort of become familiar with Philip K. Dick, I kind of feel like I've cracked his code a little bit, to the point where it might hurt the enjoyment of some of the storytelling. It's it's just, it's like seeing a thousand slasher movies and then watching one more, and there's, there doesn't feel like, all the stuff that's trying to be new and exciting just isn't clicking as new and exciting uh-huh. well this one this one actually reminded me a lot of Minority Report especially and I think maybe because it came out at about the same time similarly yeah um, but it's like it's all just questioning the nature of whether you are you um, and this is Phil K. Dick again and again are you or are you not experiencing a dream yeah you probably are are you or not are you not a evil robot yeah you probably, probably are are you or are you not a sentient bomb? Yeah. Yeah, you probably are, right? Do you have free will? Probably not. Probably not. Like, these are all things <laughs> like, the protagonists are usually totally fucked by the end of the stories, right? And, uh, 
I, I can't really decide if it's just familiar, if just overuse. If if I was really blown away by the quote twist ending at the end of this movie, would I like the movie a lot more than I do? But honestly, because it is trying to be so cutting edge and it does feel so familiar, it just kind of lays there for me. I was a little surprised by the first twist ending. Yeah. And then, then they had the second one. Right. Uh, which reminded me. I was, I was gonna make a joke about it reminding me of The Simpsons with the how to cook for 40 humans right because they just kept piling on twists piling on twists and uh, twists so you're going to work one day and a government official arrests you and says they need to talk to you because they're pretty sure that you're not you but that you're actually an alien weapon that's been sent here to assassinate someone and cause a terrible explosion and the Earth is under attack from aliens constantly, and it's got a protective shield, and you're supposed to get the shield turned off somehow. We never see it. It's talked about, but we never <laughs> see this alien menace. It's It might as well have just been like a Skynet thing. Like, I don't know why. And that's another thing that this thing's hurt. This is like 2002, and some of the CGI in it is pretty <laughs> fucking embarrassing. Like... <laughs> I'm on board for the cast for the most part, to be honest. Though. This is the most 90s cast that they could have possibly ex- assembled. <laughs> the only thing that they needed was basically John Malkovich. Maybe it's, some Ethan Hawke. Yeah, it's <laughs> starring Gary Sinise, Madeline Stowe, Vincent D'Onofrio, Tony Shalhoub, Mackay Pfeiffer. And it was directed by a Weinstein. Uh, no, Gary Fletter directed the oh, film. Produced by. Produced by Weinstein. Gary Fletter directed a movie that I have a real soft spot for. It was one of the uh, We Want to Be Pulp Fiction clones of the 90s called Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead. Yeah, I like that movie. And um, I'm a fan of that one, and it's got a good loose charm and kind of a fun atmosphere to it. Uh, so sort of like the opposite of imposter in that respect. I think, I think that Gary Sinise is really good at making you feel sorry for him. The tactics he's using to try to exonerate himself make sense as somebody who believes them to be innocent, but... I just never doubted that he was a bomb. Like, <laughs> yeah, at no point. Clearly... <laughs> and I think because they set up, like, you wouldn't even know it. Yeah. Well, then then what's the plot? Like, you can't know it. You're just not going to think you're a bomb until you're a bomb. That's yeah. the only way this can end. Which is why... And then he's super in love with Madeline Stowe, who's his wife. And it's yes. got this big love story angle. Although they're probably... Not since... Um, Anakin Skywalker Academy <laughs> have we seen less on screen chemistry yeah. uh, but then when it turns out that we see her dead body and she's the bomb and you that surprised twist. me oh, and okay. then he's also a bomb yeah. so we're two bombs I'm like okay and he actually stops her which is really crazy to me yeah like the, the self-awareness thing didn't go so far as to like stop him from you know letting <laughs> the other bomb go up I don't know the rules are a little bit wonky what you have are very good actors trying like hell to sell you this premise. This, uh, for me, it felt like, maybe this is similar to the next one that we're going to do as well, Life. Uh, it felt to me like the actors didn't mesh with the material very well. Mm-hmm. Like, like, this is a particular coterie of New York Broadway actors that later became kind of 90s movie film stars. Right. Like, they should be doing something like Six Degrees of Separation. Right. Uh, <laughs> this is beneath them somehow. <laughs> it's just... it's it's Well, it is beneath them, but it's also just not the kind of movie that they'd be any good at. Right. Um, so I don't think Gary Sinise is good at this, but I did think he was good in Mice and Men. Right. Um, 
I don't know if I actually think Madeline Stowe is good at any in anything particularly. Mm. Um, Vincent D'Onofrio really has his moments. Obviously, Full Metal Jacket was terrific. Yeah. But in this, when he's just sort of the obsessed police officer trying to track down the alien bombs, like, yeah, eh, huh. you're delivering your lines, I and, guess. You know, in a very unsympathetic kind of way, too. He's he's <laughs> almost, like, his, his goals are completely noble, but he's almost mean enough that we don't mind so much that he gets exploded. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, again, like, I should be devastated. This should be, like, this super hard, oh, no, ending. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah. And also, there's a level of incompetency with the... Actually, maybe this reminds me of life as well. Um, with the special police that are trying to track down this alien bomb. And then they've got, like, Gary Sinise and Madeline Stowe meet at this place where they had their first date, but she's been followed or something, and then the police appear all around and, and then they run into the, woods, the yeah. forest. But if the police know they're there, like, these police, which are more like the, the ghost-in-the-shell assassin police, they would just... Just shoot, shoot them. them. Kill Just them really quickly. Shoot them. It, 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 I mean, I hate to be this guy, but even if there's a chance that they're actually nuclear bombs, take the risk yeah. and shoot them. And <laughs> it's not even... Because like, I find it really annoying when people talk about movies being unrealistic. But right. when they're unrealistic in their own terms, that, that bugs me. They have to have their own internal consistency, yeah. at least. It doesn't have to be our world, but it has to be true to their world. Yeah. And if what's at stake is a huge explosion that will kill hundreds, if not thousands, of people, then it seems almost an unfortunately small price to pay to take these two civilians out. Yeah. And since, the, you know, they're running around hospitals having gunfights, killing doctors and patients in the way, it's not like these people really mind killing people. Well, Gary Sinise kills his buddy at the beginning <laughs> of the movie, the Tony Shalhoub character, right? When he's escaping the yeah. lab, right? I mean, he does it accidentally. He does it accidentally, but it it's one of those things that's supposed to make us feel for Gary Sinise more. Like, oh my God, this just couldn't get worse for him. They're stripping him of his life. He's accidentally killed his friend. Nobody believes he is who he is. And, but, like, they, they can't... When he gets to the hospital, we know when he gets to the machine, he's not going to be able to execute the test to prove that he's not a bomb. Yeah. Because he's clearly a bomb. <laughs> this is like my, my mantra that I keep on repeating the whole time of watching this movie. Yes, you're a bomb. None of this is going to matter. And like the whole business of the Mackay Pfeiffer guy who was sort of questioning the morals of like how they were... Their tactics of, of, of trying to decide who's a weapon and who wasn't. At the end, we're having this wonder like, I wonder if I ever really did know him. Well, no, no clearly you, didn't, you clearly didn't. You could not have failed in any bigger way. <laughs> well, except for that in the hospital scene at the end, he stole a bunch of medicine for his poor clinic in the slums. Right, right. So, and right. Then, I've, I'd forgotten about that, and I watched the movie about six days ago. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing about this movie, though, is it's not exactly bad. It's just there's nothing good about it. Well, I go back to where I started. Like, if I hadn't seen all this other Philip K. Dick... If I didn't know to just expect the main character to be utterly fucked over mm. by the story, would it would have it had more impact? Like, this is just a case, maybe, of me seeing too many movies like this. 
but in the canon of movies that we're talking about even of, of adaptations of Philip K. Dick every single one that we've mentioned is better than this one I haven't seen Paycheck it's got a terrible reputation so let's say maybe Paycheck is worse than this movie <laughs> I might actually watch this again before I would watch A Scanner Darkly just because I found that that kind of plodded along a little bit slow for my taste but it was at least authentic to Philip K. Dick. Yeah. Right? And, like, lo- love it or hate it, it was the real deal. <laughs> yeah. So I get it. I get what the, where their heart was at. And, like, you're, you're, you're not wrong. Like, everybody involved in this movie, technically it's not well executed. It's decently made. The special effects have already aged terribly. We've already mentioned that. And there's an immediate retrograde feel right after it says produced by Weinstein, where, <laughs> where Tony Shalhoub and his best friend Gary Sinise are talking about, like, joking about sexually assaulting some other <laughs> <That's> doctor. <right. laughs> like, In a good-natured, friendly yeah, sort of way. This is a good old, good old grabber by the pussy talk. <sighs> It's a different age that we've entered. There's been a shift in the zeitgeist. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, you, in the last episode, we talked about that extraordinary tales, and you said that it really made you question whether or not you liked Edgar Allan Poe. Like, you thought you'd like Edgar Allan Poe, but now you're sort of rethinking it. I've always really thought that I really liked Philip K. Dick, but maybe, I, maybe I'm done. Maybe yeah. I'm done with Philip K. Dick. And maybe that's more my problem than the movies, but uh, I'm not super excited about Imposter. Um, it wouldn't surprise me at all if to learn that this movie sat on a shelf for five to ten years before they released it. It really seems like a, an early 90s It feels movie. 90s, it really does. Especially those spaceship effects <laughs> and like the scanner equipment. Yeah. Not so the, hot. And the scanner that conveniently takes hours to say if he's a bomb or not. Right. And like they said, it's so detailed that they have to do a dissection in order to find the bomb, so he has to die in order to find <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, you guys. I feel like I've been really mean to it, but I'm not backing down. Yeah. I, it, I, my dad would like it. This is the kind of movie that he likes. It's, yeah. It's, I don't know. Don't watch it. Your dad once asked me if I'd seen the movie I Bulletproof, starring uh, Damon Wayans and Adam Sandler. And I guess I must have made a face, because he said, oh, right, you like films. <laughs> 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 I like movies too. <laughs> I'm looking at a large single cell, biological. I'd hate to jump the gun, but I think it's time. We're looking at the first proof of life beyond Earth. You finally a daddy. It's gonna be a big custody battle over this one. It's <laughs> <laughs> beautiful. Life. Life. Um, this is a 
science fiction horror film that borrows a lot, I'm going to say, from Alien, uh, as far as the claustrophobic trapped with a monster that is seemingly insurmountable <laughs> against. They don't really have any equipment in their toolbox to really adequately fight their adversary. Um, it's really impressively mounted. Like, I, I'm impressed with the zero-G interaction and making that believable. It seemed like only a couple of years ago they made Gravity, that Sandra Bullock movie, and everybody was so loud at how they handled the, the, the zero-gravity. And this movie is handling it so much that you kind of forget about the zero-gravity. Yeah. It's, just, it's just part of how they do business. They float around in the spaceship, and you kind of let go of it fairly quickly. To the movie's benefit. Yeah, I thought it was good. Um, one of my first notes was just about the visuals I liked. Um, it it um, uh, this very minimal CGI. Although that makes the monster look a lot worse because the right. monster is very maximally CGI. Um, but the the world is terrific, and yeah. they establish it in just a few shots. You you believe for the most part the crew they don't have the greatest of chemistry, but like you believe that they've been working in space together and that they're familiar with each other. Mm -hmm. They may not be best friends, but they've obviously you know been breathing each other's air for quite some time. Yeah, <laughs> and there's there's a great interview like they're doing was it a, a YouTube interview with, with the classroom kids and that was a a very nice introducing characters. Bit. I, I think the characters weren't all that interesting. It, it would have been a much better bit if the characters were interesting. Mm -hmm. But it, it, like talking about getting the exposition out well in a way that didn't seem forced, I thought that was a pretty clever way to do it. Yeah. So after collecting an errant space vehicle, they, cap, they actually capture it in orbit and retrieve this sample that they've been basically put on the space station to retrieve and study. Uh, they find microbial life and magically awaken it somehow. The With science, electricity, don't yes. you remember? The... Very Frankenstein. <laughs> and it grow, grows quickly from a bunch of little cells and molecules into a much bigger problem. <laughs> um, and it escalates quick, quickly. It escalates very quickly. And what I will say for the movie is that it does have momentum and energy. So much so that you might miss some of the stupidest shit that happens because it happens pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my big note about it, because I liked it, but it was also really cheesing me off. Right. Um, and about halfway through, I just thought, you know, these clever, resourceful scientists are just no match for a determined screenwriter. Yeah. Who's just taking every... Like, the, the monster gets improbably clever and resourceful and... It's really, really hyper intelligent for something that's like so tiny, and it gets like becomes a bigger adversary as it goes along. But like, it seems to understand it's on a space station and how that space it station how works. It gets shuttered into space, which should be the end of it, but then it climbs back in through an air exchange or something. something. Yeah, and it's like seriously, dude, like just don't shoot it into space in the first place if you can't think of how to get it back. Yeah. Um, what works is like there's isolated beats and sequences that just work for me. There's a horrifying sequence where this, uh, the French commander of the space station is slowly drowning inside her spacesuit. Yeah. Which was sort of took, compounded the claustrophobia of the actual like space station itself and put it like shrunk her into the suit. Uh, there. The are, Ryan Reynolds. Scene. Yeah, it was because he was the only character that I kind of liked. So, and he was one of the first to go. Well, he was a hotshot, and I think that was like their celebrity death. And uh, I think it was clear to me, like, 
either Jake Gyllenhaal or, or, or Ryan Reynolds was going to be the main character. And it was established pretty early that Jake Gyllenhaal yeah. was going to be the main character. I had no reason to expect him not to die. There are probably certain people who went to the movie who were shocked at how quickly Ryan Reynolds was out of the movie. It didn't surprise me at all. I think that was the thing that was to establish the stakes of our adversary, right? Okay. It took out the biggest, baddest, most macho member of the crew right away, right? Um, I did really like the first attack on the scientist dude, where it grabs hold of his hand and yeah, slowly yeah. breaks every fucking bone in his hand. Oh. Yeah, yeah, and that <coughs> happened really quickly from being an inert thing to, to just like they have no idea what it is that they're dealing with. Yeah, and they can't deal with it. It seems pretty obvious pretty quickly that we're going to a dark place with this movie. Yeah, but again, I thought in like so. When Ryan Reynolds runs into the room to save the guy whose hand is being broken and he's zapping him with a blowtorch or something and it's not even slowing it down, that was also about the time that I started to disengage a little bit because... They're just—they're not going to do anything. It, we're gonna—it's a slasher movie. We're gonna—we're gonna get watch these people get taken out one at a time. That's what this movie is. But even in like, even up to Friday the Thirteenth Part Five or maybe even Part Six, there's some <laughs> idea that they might be able to hurt Jason or right. stop him. Um, this thing—it's—it's it's pretty invincible right off the bat, um, which is why I thought it would have been more interesting if they could have. Because it, it has a nihilistic ending where this animal very improbably gets to Earth. Yeah. And then presumably it just takes over Earth and kills everything. Um, but we already knew that that was going to happen because of how invincible this thing is. So it would have been more interesting than if they... The didn't. trajectory of the movie, it, it somehow shows its hand very early that we're going to a dark place. This is what I wanted to talk about. I told you not to read the, the cover. Okay. On the front cover of the DVD edition of Life that I have in front of me, it says, quote, has an ending you will never see coming. <laughs> in quotation marks. It's like marks. saying imposter has an ending you'll never see coming. For the love of fuck, <laughs> do not do that. Do not, like, <laughs> don't do that. Like, like, if there was any doubt, like, I knew where the movie was going, but they're trying to do this misdirection at the end of the movie where one of the ships is being jettisoned into space and the other one's going to Earth. Yeah, what happened with that, by the way? I didn't really understand. She, her ship got hit by debris yeah, and okay. she got sped out into space. And the creature was forcing Jake Gyllenhaal's arm down on the... Oh, because it knew it was in space. Because it, it knew how to steer to Earth somehow, right? But we're, when we're watching it, we're thinking Jake Gyllenhaal has bravely sacrificed himself and jettisoned him and the creature into space, and that she was going home. And it turns out that she got jettisoned into space, and Gyllenhaal and the alien land on Earth. And that... I mean, I, I would have saw it coming anyway, but I definitely saw it coming, because I read the front of the... Fucking box, you guys. Like, 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 dude, on the poster for The Sixth Sense, did they say, like, oh, you gotta see the ending of The Sixth Sense, you'll never believe what happens with the, like, no. For God's sakes. Any chance that this movie had to, you know, sucker punch me was already taken by the fucking box. So, yeah, that really made me mad. And, you know, I... I could see this twist coming, and they spend a long time before they make that reveal, and right away. Like, they're at this point where it's down to two of them, and they can just freeze on the space station, and it's a stalemate. The creature can't get to Earth, neither can they, but... You Which know. is how it should have ended. That's, That's what I mean, how like, it should have ended. They were no match for the screenwriter, because nothing about them 
would like the whole point of Jake Gyllenhaal's character is he didn't want to go to Earth. Yeah. Right? He hated it on Earth. And the whole point of her character is she was all about contingency plans and like she's very cold cold hard. This alien cannot get into the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. So why would they shoot anything down? And if you know, there's a five percent chance that it destroys all life on Earth. That's too Don't, much. That's too much. And it's not even it's not their characters. Like right. if there was you know, maybe if that young no, the young father was in another movie. Anyway, maybe if somebody was a young father uh, and he really wanted to see his kids, so he did something stupid, but yeah. not these two characters. It's like earlier in the movie, smarter things were happening. You talked about the sequence where uh, the Ryan Reynolds character goes in, pulls the scientist out of the room, but then himself gets locked in the containment area. The door closes, and he and Jake Gyllenhaal look at each other through the door, but he doesn't say, Why the fuck did you do that? What are you doing? They seem to understand that this quarantine is very fucking important. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds put his life on the line. He knew he was putting his life on the line. He got the dude out of there, but they had to shut that door. Mm. And I thought it was great that they yeah. didn't have that scene because I was waiting for them to, you know, be so busy fighting each other that that's, you know, <clears throat> Reynolds had bigger problems to worry about than that. Yeah. So the movie started in this smart place, but with each subsequent scene got a little bit dumber and a little bit dumber. Yeah, and this one, um, like the last one I said, they didn't seem like the cast really fit the material. This one, it actually seemed like the director didn't really fit the material, because in the moments when I was, like, I liked some parts of this a lot, and then I would get irritated, but when I would get go to a very irritated place, I tried to imagine that it was Deep Star 6. And if all of this had been happening in Deep Star 6, I wouldn't mind. It just feels like this movie should be better. Maybe if we watched it in 30 years, it will be a nostalgic treat. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like, maybe <laughs> maybe some young, aspiring, uh, I don't I guess there'll be some, like, psionic podcast technology that they've been developing. We'll talk fondly about this B-movie. <clears throat> but it seemed, like, it was a B-movie. It, yeah. it was like an A-cast and an A-budget. But, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a monster movie. And you know what? It's an adequate monster movie, but... I don't know. I think that it had its sights on Alien, right? It mm. wanted to be the nouveau Alien, and it's clearly, clearly not that. <coughs> Excuse me. It, I mean, I feel like I'm being a little bit hard on it, too. In presentation, and as an A, B, and C, I've watched a lot worse monster-jumping-out-of-the-dark type of movies. And, like, it, it, they didn't spare a lot of expense as far as the scale and spectacle of the sci-fi. Like, it's a decent swing, but, it, again, you can sort of see a better movie that could have been. Yeah. Or, or if it, it's like if it had tried a little less hard, it might have been better. Or if it had tried a little harder, it might have been better. But there's just <laughs> something uniquely didn't sit quite right about it. Yeah. Um, but but this does feel like I, I disliked it more than I did. I didn't dislike it. Um, it's watchable. Yeah. Like it wasn't. A, I didn't find it a chore. Like I was engaged by it, but I knew where it was going. Yeah. I think that's the real thing. Just like when we were talking about imposter. I just couldn't get past the fact that this, they were trying to trick me and I wasn't being tricked. Yeah. Good enough. Good enough. Velco is a non-profit organization that facilitates American companies in South America. All employees. Lend me your full attention. Hey, it's Jesus. Your chance of survival increases by following my orders. Your task is simply this. 
Kill three of your co-workers, or we will kill six others. Hey, all the lines are dead. We need to evacuate the floor. Heike, come on, it's a joke, man. Hey, listen up, everybody. Whoever's doing this, they're having a little fun at our expense. Stage one, commence. His head exploded from the inside. What? When we start working here, they put tracers in the back of our heads. You must not remove the tag from your body. Follow our directives, or we will detonate the explosive. Begin. That ain't melted at all. Do you know what kind of metal this is? I don't really know. We need to discuss all our options. We do not have the right to take innocent human lives. What are you doing? My wife and kids need me. Stage two, commence. So here's a weird movie. <laughs> yeah, the Belko experiment. This was, this really came out of left field for me. Uh, maybe the opposite of life in its predictability. Right. Well, once upon a time, James Gunn, the creator of Slither and the Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 1 and 2, had a dream. <laughs> and it was basically the trailer, he said, for the Belko experiment. This idea of a bunch of people who are in a, a building. It's actually in Colombia. They kind of get around some of the security issues with this being out of the United States. But all of a sudden, the entire building gets shuttered, and a voice comes over the PA system and basically says... You need to kill a third of the staff. Or no, we're first it's you need to kill three people within 30 minutes. Three people within 30 minutes, but they keep on making more announcements. None of them good news for anybody who's remaining. <laughs> and and the, these office drones just showed up for work are pitted against each other. And uh, they get put into these two sort of groups. The groups of people that say, we got to play ball with the voice and do the killing because... This is less killing means less killing. <laughs> and the other group that says we need to find a way to conquer the voice and work together. Yeah. And uh, the f I actually thought they did a very plausible, insofar as anything <laughs> in this movie is plausible, but a very plausible job in getting them to start killing each other when they, they hear the voice and you've got 30 minutes to kill people and obviously they're not going to kill anybody. And so they start trying to figure out how to get out of the building. And then just all of a sudden, their heads, some of their heads start to explode. I like that they think, too, initially it's a sniper. Mm -hmm. I think that I was, was really clever. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's set in Colombia, and they tell all the staff members that because they have a real problem with kidnappings, they have these trackers put in your body, <laughs> strangely drilled into the base of your skull, which seems a little <laughs> excessive. But no, that's these triggers. Somebody in a control room can press your button and boom, explosion in your head, you're out of the game. And that's presumably how they're going to take out the people if these certain quantities are not met at each allotted time frame. Got a lot of interesting character actors thrown into the mix here too. Tony Goldwyn, John C. McGinley. And John C. McGinley was terrific. In As that. usual. Like, John C. McGinley's good. I, I do like that dude. His first... Like, the first scene with him, even though he's kind of a bad guy, oh, kind of a bad he's guy, a bad, he's a bad guy. He's almost the bad guy. But they humanize him. Like, I, I found at least, when he was sending the, he's, there's a, a woman in the office he's got a crush on, and he's IMing her, and he sends her 
Oh, he's oh, staring yeah. at her, and she sends him a message saying, usually when people get caught staring, they stop. And then he sends, like, a LOL message back. Like, he just doesn't get it. Like, he's not... He's not malicious, necessarily. Yeah. He's and he's, just like, ignorant. creepy and awful, but he just doesn't really understand how humans work. So, um, yeah, I, I think if... I like the movie. It, I mean, it, it's a high-concept thriller, clearly, right? But, I mean, if I have a, a problem with it is maybe because of it being born out of a dream, it does have a bit of dream logic to it. Like, I don't think he solves all of the problems that he has set up for himself, right? No. But, it, so it reminded me a lot of um, that Japanese movie, uh, Battle Royale. Yes. Um, which also was highly implausible and weird, but the little vignettes were just so delightful to watch that I the isolated moments within yeah. the movie it's it's yeah it's sort of what this the story gives you opportunities to do it's like the those those purge movies I don't really think they're great movies but I, I understand them as an opportunity to tell interesting stories like there there's there's a premise that's strong there and uh, the premise is strong, but it's kind of crazy, much like The Purge, right? Yeah. It's just a little crazier than the real world will allow. And I think this is where we come back to what you were saying earlier, where it's it's an almost reflection of our world, but not quite. Yeah. Um, this had... Uh, I really liked the, the visuals, like the... I don't know, like the color tones and just maybe it's because it felt a little low budget or something. You, I, just when you were talking about The Purge, I was thinking about how all the Purge ads for The Purge look exactly like the same film quality of every single Hollywood movie. There's that glossy digital look. Yeah. Um, that's why when I, at the very beginning I said that this um, looks like a, a co-production to me because it looks like a little bit cheaper, a little bit off, but it works so well for the type of movie that this is because yeah. the movie's a little bit off. Well, I think like this, this screenplay's been kicking around for a little while, but James Gunn has kind of <coughs> come up in the world, right? Mm. I mean, I love Slither, I love Super. Neither of those movies made any money. But then he made these two Guardians of the Galaxy <laughs> movies, right? So uh, he decided he didn't want to direct this one. He got Greg McLean, who's an Australian director who did uh, Wolf Creek and Rogue. Um, interesting genre director. I kind of like that he plays in horror. Mm. <laughs> um, and I think he did fine. I, I mean, I wonder how, if this movie would be that different if Gunn himself had directed it or not. It's impossible to say. <laughs> but, yeah, I think that... This movie wouldn't have got made unless James Gunn had sort of exploded in popularity. Because yeah. it's just a little bit too edgy, a little bit too much deep, and a little bit too nihilistic almost. Even in the age of Game of Thrones, like, if you're expecting, you know, the hero to walk away arm in arm with a love interest at the end of this movie, that's not how, that's not the, that's not the world that we're in. Yeah. <laughs> I actually thought, speaking of early kills... Um, setting the tone of the stakes Michael Rooker getting the wrench upside his head caving in his skull and because it's Michael Rooker you don't think that's going to happen so soon you just assume he's going to be the main bad guy yeah. <laughs> nope no time for that yeah he basically tries to blowtorch the door and that's about that's about what we get from him really yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> um, what the master plan or plaster man of the, the powers that be is is kind of uncertain too. And I will argue that I think maybe there's something unsatisfying about the ending. So I think the, the ending would have been a, like way more satisfying if they just explained a little less. Right. Uh, so what was the point of the Velcro experiment? 
don't know. It was no. an experiment. It yeah. was, we just wanted to see how people reacted to crazy pressure. Or not even that. It's just, it was just an experiment. Yeah. We were, and, you know, he kills the guy that's explaining it anyway, so he's never going to find out. Yeah. So the more details you give about what they're trying to find out, the more you think, it's probably not getting through ethics review. No. <laughs> this it's is not just the, something that's happening. Yeah. But don't worry about <laughs> it. This is a world where people's heads explode. Yeah. But the fact that all of a sudden... It, a new lockdown takes place and phase two is about to begin. Right. I didn't like that. I, I think it would have been... I, I mean, I don't know what that guy would have done. <laughs> I don't know, like, with the, the powers that be, it would be pretty substantial that would be after him to try and keep the secret. Like, I don't think there's necessarily an immediate happy ending waiting for him, but I, I didn't... Sh- I, I didn't know how to sit on the end and end moments of the movie. But by that point, I'd liked the movie enough that I was willing to let that go to a degree, right? I, I have to find reasons to put it up or down on the list. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just pretty much liked everything about this movie. <laughs> it's unbelievably violent. <laughs> like, I guess we can't really sugarcoat this. <laughs> and it's interesting how it puts people who are not, or wouldn't be on their average day, particularly shitty, to make them blossom into full-on monsters. I mean, John C. McGinley was already kind of broken where he started, but the Tony Goldwyn character, you'd like to think, you know, at least thought of himself as a decent human being at one point, right? Uh, I was going to say, oh yeah, the, um, one of the things that I really like about it, I don't know if this is too much of a left turn or not, um, but their sort of realization that they're in this company that doesn't do anything when they start to discuss why they're even there what they what the business even is like, did you ever notice they never really seem to mind that we're not productive at all and that we don't <laughs> yeah. know what we do we just and the, the there's a weird number game i really like the opening moments of the movie where you say like, uh, there's something off about the day in the morning all of the colombian locals are being denied entry mm. but all of the americans are being ushered right in and they're like keeping track of all the employees as they hit the door and once they get to their magical number, everything kind of clicks into place. It almost felt like the beginning of a zombie movie where shit's starting to go bad, but people aren't noticing it yet. Like, you can feel the storm coming. Yeah. <laughs> and re- I like that. Yeah. It reminded me a lot of Cube as yeah. well. It might have been the low production values or And something. the nihilism. But I liked Cube quite a lot as well. Yeah. Um, it just it's There's no other movies like this. Yeah. Like, if you said... I mean, maybe Battle Royale, but if you said, if somebody said to you, I really like Belko, uh, show me another movie like it. <laughs> like, sorry. Sorry, that's, that's what we got so far. <laughs> well, and again, if we had 10 Belkos, it would just be diluted, I think, yeah. too. This is not something that needs to be franchised or anything like that. I, I certainly hope, I'm, I'm not I'm not chomping at the bit for the Belko experiment, too. I think no, I should I just let it sit as it is. <laughs> I didn't watch Cube 2, Hypercube. It's unique and crazy. And uh, it sort of depends on how you deal with the crazy. That's part of what I love about James Gunn. There's something bonkers about Sliver. And there's definitely something bonkers about Super. And there's even something a little bit bonkers about Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, I like the, where that guy's brain's at. Yeah. You know, like, one of his first gigs in Hollywood, he, he wrote the screenplay for the remake of Dawn of the Dead. Oh, that's why it was better than... It should have been, yeah. right? He also wrote the Scooby-Doo movie. <laughs> but a paid job is a paid job. You know, they can't all be winners. That movie made money. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm a fan of James Gunn, so I bring that into it. But 
the movie is kind of bonkers. Uh, we just prepare. It's very bonkers. Yeah, I would prepare people for that. Like it's it's the most fucked Twilight Zone episode ever. Yeah. <laughs> and I couldn't imagine it having very wide appeal. There's a, a narrow sliver of the population that. No James Gunn explosion in popularity. This movie doesn't exist. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that it does exist. And they're, they're great details. One of the guys gets the idea to take the uh, explosives out of the people who have been killed but not exploded to weaponize them. So on top of all the other grim violence going on, this dude's going around chopping the shit out of the back of his corpse heads. Just, it's pretty fucking hard, you know? <laughs> But in a really enjoyable, sort of delicious package. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to say about Belko? Nope, but if it sounds like the kind of movie you might like, you probably like it. Yeah. Yeah, like I say, there's a high percentage of crazy, but I, I, for me, that, that, that does not spoil the meal at all. Yeah. <laughs> some pleasant surprises in there I mean it's hard to find a list of all six movies where you're gonna get all of them are gonna be winners but what are you gonna do I think that there's more winners than losers in this list and hopefully you didn't completely regret your time no um, there were a couple of uh, a couple of really nice surprises Um, I thought more of them would be like I could kind of tell that I wouldn't like Ghost in the Shell for example and I just knew I would have to get that one over with. But then things like Belco, I kind of figured I'd have to get that over with. And, and it was a good time. Really fun. Nice. Um, well, I'm excited. Uh, I think we had a shot at this, but let's see. Uh, what was? What, what's your list? What's your least favorite of these six bad science movies and why? Okay, so the bottom two were really difficult for me because the bottom two basically didn't have anything good about either of them and Ghost in the Shell is like regarded by many as a great movie and there there's obviously something to it but I just wasn't getting it <laughs> whereas um, Imposter is just kind of bland but not all that bad so what I went for I usually go the other way and put the bland movie at the bottom but I put Ghost in the Shell at number six because it was just so hard to watch right. and and uh, so yeah, and then obviously Imposter at number five. Right. Uh, the next one was Life at number four. It looked I, there really were we were really mean to it, but there really were some good moments in it. Yeah, I felt really like was, we focused on the negative. There's some really good sequences in that movie. Yeah, but I was annoyed. I was just annoyed by some of the things that happened. So right. I think that that made me uh, a little bit more critical. Um, next, A Cure for Wellness, which was another surprise. When I started to watch it, I didn't really think I would like it all that much. And because it kind of had a weirdly low-budget kind of... Like, there are no famous actors at the beginning. Right. And, like, I thought maybe it's just going to be a kind of a boring B-movie, but then it turned into something that I really enjoyed. Uh, Belco might easily have topped other lists for me, uh, except Get Out is just obviously yeah. a nearly flawless movie. Wow, that's a really good list. So just for the for the cheap seats, you said Ghost in the Machine, Shell. Imposter, Life, Cure for Wellness, 
Belko and get out. Yep. I hope Lee Beckman is sitting down because he's still the rank and review champion. I just uh, wanted to make him sit. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to fuck with Beckman there. Oh, it's so frustrating, Matt, because we're so close. And I'm, it's another one of these ones where I'm going to kick myself after the fact. I don't know that I've ever forgiven myself for that Exeter woman <laughs> in black thing. For some reason, I thought Exeter was more memorably bad than woman in black. But I don't know what I was smoking. <laughs> I don't know I apologize. Well, here's the thing. We're really close, and I, I I'm, yeah, I, I can see this is gonna put a, it is gonna put a sliver in our friendship because <laughs> I don't think you're gonna like where we disagree. Okay. <laughs> yes, in sixth place, and this was not a problem actually for me. It was the Ghost in the Machine shell. in the Shell? Fuck the Ghost in the Shell. I can't. I, don't, I care so little about it. I don't even want to remember the title <laughs> of the movie. But for a movie that's 75 minutes hyper violent and full of nudity, I would never have imagined I would have been as bored <laughs> as I was. And there it is. Somebody please write me at rankandreview at gmail.com and tell me what it is about this movie that everybody loves and recommend me some quality anime because I'm not finding it. In sixth place, no problem at all. In fifth place, I did put imposter. I can't help but feel like a lot of it is my own baggage, but... I, no, it's it's also just not a good movie. It's the, there's, there's, it's the most average of all of these movies, I think, in a lot of ways. It just kind of laid there for me. Maybe if the twist worked for you, you'd get more out of it. But I, having the whole movie unpacked from the opening scene gave it no tension or energy. So, mm. fifth place. Fourth place, I'm still with you. Life. Uh, it's, it's a good claustrophobic monster movie with an unfortunately flawed ending. Uh, it might have tried too hard with the twist at the end, but... For the most part, I think the movie is successful at what it's trying to do. It's uh, being a scary sci-fi monster movie, so it's good enough. It made it to fourth place. Put Belko in third place. Uh... I put the Belko experiment in third place because I, the craziness is really out there. There's a weird instability to the movie. Like I, I enjoy that, but uh, I don't know. I found like the cure for wellness. There was something ambitious about it. And uh, it became more, I guess, familiar the deeper into the movie we got, but I was surprised how engaging it was. I liked the ambition of, like, the epic horror movie, and I just, it, I was expect, unlike you, I was expecting to like the Belco experiment. I, I guess I was a little trepidatious, like, about a cure for wellness, and I guess it surprised me more, and it, it fought its way to second place. All right. But of course, there is no better movie on the list than Get Out. It's clearly yeah, it's was, clearly the strongest movie. I do think it's one of the best movies of 2017, and I do think that uh, it's going to be a well-remembered horror movie. So, fuck, dude, we were <laughs> so close. <laughs> yeah, I was sure you would put Bilko higher, too. It, uh, like, I had much, much bigger problem with the top of the list than the bottom. I found the bottom pretty, pretty so. The bottom three was not a problem. The top three, well, the top, yeah. Number two and number three. Yeah, for the bad ones, it's because there's two types of bad. There's epically bad and blandly bad, and yeah. I never know which of those is worse. Yeah. I, I guess, in a way, I, 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 I've proven in the past that I'll take memorably bad over blandly bad, but uh, <laughs> it's shades of brown on shit again, as yeah. I've said. So, <sighs> one of these times, brother, <laughs> we regain the title, but Lee lives to fight another day.
see, science isn't great for everybody. I mean, we love progress, but it causes some problems, doesn't it? Oh, that was another heartbreaking episode. It was really, really close. And when I look at that list, I, I, I wonder if I got it wrong or Matt got it wrong. It was just, oh, it was very, very close. Exciting stuff. Let me know how you would have ranked those movies. And you can do that by sending me an email at rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. And have a look at the new rankandreview.ca. I've updated the site. I think it's looking pretty. I think it's feeling functional. But if you feel differently, you know how to let me know. Thank you so much for listening to Rank and Review. I hope you continue to do so. And I hope you continue to tell others to do so. Thank you so much, you guys. Thank you.